0: Welcome, welcome, uh, especially if you've joined us since the beginning of our gathering this afternoon. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Alex Lyle, I'm the pastor here of Stradham Central Church, and it's great to see a lot of people back after holidays. And um, yeah, I know there's a men's holiday going on, which I'm going to be joining uh, this evening, so a few people away, um, but encouraging to see everyone here. Um, we are starting a new series Um Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and um, if you grab a Bible, um, if someone could uh, pass me a Bible, uh, if my son hasn't rearranged them across the room, um, put a hand up if you can't find one, and anyone's got a spare, put a hand up with one. And we're going to be turning to 1 Corinthians. Can someone give us a page number when we get there? 1144. One, one, um uh, on the screen, we'll look at this a little bit more, is a map of where Corinth is. You can see it right in the middle there of the map um, towards the bottom of uh, Greece mainland um, between that big sort of island peninsula thing. Um, and uh, Paul is... Uh, was one of the first great missionaries of uh, the Christian message, uh, travelling around uh, 10-15 years after Jesus, writing this letter about uh, 20 years after Jesus, uh, probably a bit less actually, in the 40s, so yeah, 10-15 years after, um, and um, uh, writing to a church that he had... Himself been involved in planting, others had come in and brought the gospel, and um, he's now writing to them uh, from a distance to uh, teach them the things that they need to hear. They've actually written him a letter um, with a whole load of questions. Um, he's been visited by uh, one of uh, the house groups and um, been given a report, and there's some stuff going on. And what we're going to do as we start, straight after I pray is actually someone else is going to read not just the passage that's on your sheet but the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians to us um, which you can follow through in the Bible but he's done a, a paraphrase he's done it in kind of preaching style, he's basically preached 1 Corinthians or uh, well, the whole thing and you can look it up in line in your own time. I thought it would be great for us to see the first six chapters to get a feel for the whole thing. It, often when we dive into a passage and we work our way through a book we, we just see the individual chunks and we struggle to piece it together well we're going to zoom out and we're going to have 1 Corinthians 1-6 preached to us um, by someone uh, talking as if he is Paul himself, his real name is Andrew Wilson and he was preaching at a I think a Bible training conference of some kind you'll see in the background yeah so there he is Um, and um, He's going to read 1 Corinthians 2. If you find it helpful to follow it through in the New International Version... Um, the translation we use here, uh, then do. But you might find it more helpful just to to listen as if it's being preached to you. And maybe what I'd encourage you to do, because at the end of this, we'll we'll just I'll just take a little bit of feedback of what you think some of the issues are in this church, what kind of church it's like, what are the problems that are going on there, some of the things you discover. So maybe in the the space under the passage on your sheets, has everyone got a sheet? Everyone, anyone hasn't got a sheet, again, wave a hand and someone will bring one to you. Um, under here, maybe just take a few notes as to what are some of the issues that come up in these first six chapters. Let me pray as we come to this paraphrase of God's Word. Our Father, thank you so much that um, we don't just have to kind of debate and argue with one another and wonder whether we're right-wing or left-wing or uh, whether we come from one problem culture or another as we work out what we're supposed to believe about life and the universe and eternity. But thank you that you revealed yourself in your words, that you've given us uh, your scripture, 66 books uh, put together, written over thousands of years, and yet with one purpose, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your living word, who came to live amongst us. Thank you that he was a real historical figure who could be investigated and known. And we pray that as we look at this letter of Paul writing to a real church, a bit like ours, that you would speak afresh into our lives by your Holy Spirit that these words written two two millennia ago would come to life in our lives and shape us and change us and make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name. Amen. Okay, here goes the paraphrase. It'll be about 15 minutes.
1: I'm Paul, and God has commissioned me to be a messenger of Jesus Christ. And I'm writing with my brother Sosthenes and I'm writing to all of you in Corinth, everybody, everywhere who is holy in Christ Jesus and has been set apart by Him and called to be holy people with Him, along with everybody, everywhere who says Jesus Christ is the Lord, uh, both his, his Lord and ours. Actually, I want to send grace to you. I want to send peace to you. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ both send grace and peace. And I'm firstly thankful for you. I love you. I'm so grateful that you are as you are, because the grace of God has been given to you, in Jesus Christ, and that means that you are in every single way, you are rich in everything you say, in everything know even as the witness of Christ was made obvious even among you you're not lacking a single gift as you stand in this period of time waiting for the day when Jesus himself will be revealed as Lord and King and in the meantime he will sustain you to ensure and guarantee that at the end you stand blameless in front of the judgment seat of God when Jesus Christ comes God is a faithful God and, that, and he's the one who called you into union with his son Jesus Christ the Lord In the meantime though, I have to appeal to you, please, please do not let there be divisions and factions among you. And in fact, I'm asking all of that. I'm saying please come to the same mind and agreement and unity together. Make sure you judge the same way and think the same way. Because I've heard these people have told me this, that some of you, there's squabbling and quarreling, you actually got batches of you saying, I am a poor person, and other saying I'm an Apollos person, other people, I'm a Kfast person, with Peter and others saying, Oh, I follow Christ what are you doing? Is Jesus Christ divided? Or was was I somehow crucified for you? It's ridiculous to be that way. Were you sometimes baptised into my name or something? i just felt grateful to God I didn't baptise any of you, apart from Christmas and Gaius, so that nobody might say, oh, I was baptised into Paul. So actually, you know what? I did also baptize the pastor's now i now come to think of it. So I don't know if I baptize anybody else. That's not <laughs> the point. The point is, Christ didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the good news, and not with human, fancy, wise words, but with the cross. And because the cross of Christ is where the power comes from, and I didn't want it to be robbed of its power, so that's all I did. Because the word of the cross is stupid. If you're dying, it does sound stupid, everybody is it? If you're not in Christ already, it sounds dumb, but to those who are being saved, it's where the power comes from, from God. It comes from the scripture. I'm going to take down all the cleverness of the clever, and I'm going to end up unraveling all the wise judgments of the wise. Where is the wise one? Where's the person who writes for a living? Where's the person who debates and talks for a living? God has made them all look really stupid. Because in the in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through their own cleverness. what God has done is is, in his wisdom, which is true wisdom, he has shamed them by putting a foolish gospel out there to be preached in order to save the people who believe. Jews are all about miracles. That's all they can talk about. And Greeks, all about wisdom. That's all they can talk about. We don't know either of those things. We preach the crucified Messiah, which turns out to be a stumbling not to the Jews, and stupidity to Gentiles, but to the ones who are called Jewish or Gentiles, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's stupidity is wiser than the cleverest human beings ever done. And the weakness of God is stronger than the strongest person who's ever lived. Look at yourselves. You're like this too. Just consider what it was like to be you. Not many of you were clever in a worldly way. Not many of you had power or nobility. But God chose the dum-dums to shame the wise, And God chose the weak and fragile to shame the strong. He chose the little things to bring to nothing the things that are big. So that no human being might ever be able to boast in the presence of God. And it's because of Him that you have become in Christ Jesus who became to He's the reason you have wisdom. He's the one who's become wisdom and right. Righteousness and holiness and redemption, so that anybody who boasts could only ever boast in the Lord Jesus. And so when I came to you, I, that's what I said. That I didn't come to you preaching witnesses to God with high-faluting speech or wise, clever words. I thought to myself, do you know what? With these guys, I am only going to know and only even talk about Christ crucified. And I came to you weekly, and I was, it, was, it was sometimes a difficult time. And I was actually in awe of both of God and sometimes, sometimes trembling about what my message was. And my speech and my message were not in these plausible words that the Word would believe. They simply put the power of the Spirit of God on display so that your faith might not rest to persuasive people but in God's power actually now among mature people we do of course speak wisdom but it's not a, this worldly wisdom it's not the kind of thing that the rulers of the age who are on their way out even came to think of they don't think that way it's actually a secret hidden wisdom that the world wouldn't recognize which God had said ages back was going to be true for our glory the rulers of the world didn't know that they didn't understand it at all if they had they wouldn't have the cru- crucified him of course but as it's written, what nobody saw coming, what no can even have dreamt of, but the heart of man conjured up, this is what God has put on display for those who love Him, And that's the kind of thing that God revealed to us, through His Spirit. The Spirit knows everything. Even the very depths of God. Actually, how else do you know the thoughts of a person and actually the spirit of that person is the same with the spirit of God? And we've received not the worldly spirit but the divine spirit so that we might understand the things that God, in His grace, has freely given to us to earth. And we say it not in human wisdom but in spiritual wisdom, interpreting spiritual truths to spiritual people. The natural person doesn't understand it. Of course he doesn't. They're spiritually deserved. You can't make any or head out head of them. But the spiritual person judges everything and himself gets judged by nobody else. Who has understood the mind of God, the Lord Jesus? Well, we have the mind of Christ. But I couldn't talk to you like that. This is what's so sad. I, I couldn't, I can't even now talk to you as spiritual people. I have to talk to you as fleshly people. As babies in Christ. I fed you with breast milk, not solid foods, because you weren't ready, and even now, you're still not. You're still behaving in a fleshly way. As soon as somebody is jealous or quarreling among you, as soon as somebody says, oh, I followed Paul, another followed Paul, you're behaving in fleshly ways. So I can't talk to you as a spiritual people. you should be. Think about What is a boss? What's Paul? Just simply servants of God, labourers that God gave a particular kind of responsibility to. So I'm the planter, and I go in and I sow the seed, and then Apollos comes in and he waters it. We're just servants though. God. God; is the one who brings the growth. So the person who plants is nothing, the person who waters is nothing. It's only God who should get the credit. Actually, Apollos and I, are united in the same goal, to plant and to water. But actually at the end, all of us are going to get wages according to what we've done. We are simply fellow workers in God's field. And you are the field. And in another sense, you're actually like a building, I suppose. You're a building that, according to God's grace, we worked hard on and I laid a foundation. Actually, nobody can lay any other foundation than one. And that is Jesus Christ. That's what I did. I, came in, I preached Christ. That's the foundation. And lots of other people now have started building on it. And they've got to be careful. Because if you build on the foundation of Christ with Different kinds of building materials. You will find out one day what kind of building materials you use and whether they last it. And some of you will find that you're building with wood and hay even and straw that is very insubstantial and others might build with gold and silver and precious things that last. And when you do those things, whatever leadership role you have in the church, when you do those kinds of things, you will find that at the day when Christ returns, all of that work will be shown up for what it is. And if the work you have done survives, you'll receive a great reward. And God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But if what you do goes up in flames, you will see everything that you've been laboring for just disappear in an instant. And you yourself, you will be saved, but only just as if you were like a person fleeing a burning building. And I want you to know that you are God's temple. This is why I take you so seriously. You're God's temple. God, by His Spirit, lives in you, and if you destroy that, God destroys you. You are holy and God's holy temple. So please don't deceive yourself. Don't let yourself get not let astray on this. If you think you're smart in the ways of this world, become a fool. That's how you really find true wisdom. Because the wisdom of the world, the stupidity with God, it actually comes throughout Scripture, doesn't it? He catches wise people out all the time. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are foolishness. So please, don't boast in people. Everything, you actually already have everything. All things are yours. Paul, applause, carefax, life, the world, death, present, future. Everything is yours. And you're Christ's. And Christ is God's. And that's how somebody should see me, and I upon all of us as apostles, as simply servants of Christ. Don't pick us up to make us faction leaders. Servants of Christ, stewards of mysteries of God. And it's obviously found it's required. You have to. If you want to serve, you better make sure that you're faithful with it. With me, I don't find that that faithfulness gets assessed by you. I don't really think that's a big deal. If you think highly or worthy of me, I don't care that much. Actually, it's the Lord who judges me. I don't really judge myself. I don't think I've done, done that much wrong with you guys, but even if I didn't, that doesn't mean I'm acquitted. The only judge really that counts is the Lord. And one that he will come and until then I don't want you to pronounce any judgment before the time comes because when he does come everybody's motives will be shown for what they are and on the basis of that everyone will get a commendation or not for what they've done and I've lived that way and applied all of those things to myself and Apollos has too and we both work that way so that you might see in us not to go beyond what the scripture says that I keep telling you about humility and boasting. who sees anything different in you actually what do you have that you didn't receive everything you have comes from God's gracious hand So if you've just received it, what are you boasting for as if you didn't? Already, you guys. I love Corinthians. Just, we are so wise. I stand in awe of your glorious wisdom and your amazing insights, and your wealth and your kingship, your rulership. Oh, well, can I be a king with you? Can I sit on the throne alongside you? I think God's put us at the end of the line, like the scum of the earth, the stuff you wipe off your shoe in the street, the white stuff that accumulates like around the corners of your mouth when you're thirsty. We are just like scum of the world. We've become so stupid, but you are so clever, and we've become so weak. You're so strong. Listen, so dishonor and shame. You are. So so honourable, well done, well done, even today, we're hungry and we're thirsty, we have none of the signs of being honoured by God, buffeted, without clothes, without homes, working the whole time really hard, and even when people are attacking us, we can say nice things back, and even when people slaughter us, we don't meet face to face and stand up, instead we just, we say, I'll urge you to change your mind, but I don't end up facing people now like that, we have become the refuse of all things. I don't say these. I know I might get carried away sometimes, but I'm not saying these things to shame you, I'm saying these things to correct you as my children. You have lots of guys. That's fine. People come in, leaders, other apostles. They stay their peace. That's fine. You have lots of guides, lots of guardians, but you've only got one father, and that was me, because I'm the person who first came to you and preached the gospel. I'm the one who wrote that foundation kind of that is Christ, and so I want you to treat me like a father. And actually, that's the reason I sent Timothy to you, because I wanted him to remind you of the way that I live and all of the things that I taught you. Some people, in the meantime, are pretty arrogant. They're pretty up themselves. They're not sure I'm coming, and they're acting as if I won't. And when I do come. Let's find out whether those people have really got the power that I've been talking about, or whether it's just talk and hot air. The Kingdom of God isn't a matter of talk and hot air, it's a matter of power. And I really hope that you would rather I came along in a spirit of gentleness rather than with a big stick to bash you over in the head. It's actually said, I, I, to be honest I did a double I heard it, bit, but I, I heard a rumour that there is a kind of immorality among you that even pagan people feel slightly embarrassed about and missing has happened amongst you. And that is that somebody in the church is sleeping with their stepmother. And you guys are proud of it! What are you doing? Surely this person should have been removed from you as soon as you heard about it. And I don't know I'm not there physically. And spiritually I am, but I've already decided the way that you guys should treat this person what the world. and that is that when you are together in the same spirit as I have, you are to put this man out of the church and send him out into the world where Satan reigns in order that the spiritual in him and in you might be saved, and the flesh in him and in you might get destroyed for the day of the Lord. You, I can't believe you're posting That is not a good thing to do. Don't you understand that a little bit of mould spreads throughout an entire loaf? And you are not meant to be a mouldy loaf. You're a Passover people, you are unleavened people. So get rid of that bit of mold that would corrupt everything else and throw it out, and then let's celebrate the Passover together, as you truly are unleavened and clean from infection, rather than tainted by the presence of this individual. I did tell you, of course, in my previous letter, I know you read it, I did tell you you must associate with fornicators and sexually immoral people. I've got to clarify. I also didn't mean in the world. How on earth are you live in Corinth? If you wouldn't have said, "I walk down the street, I can't talk to you you're a You can't think like that. But in the church, you need to. In the church, if you've got anybody who carries the name of a brother and is living like with any of those things—actually, sexual morality, greed, idol worship, swearing, and attacking and slandering people, being drunk all the time, ripping people off—any of those kinds of things, you shouldn't even be eating with them. You should make sure they're not in your community, as if there wasn't a problem. Much of those into just the world. That's God's job. It's the people inside the church that I'm called to do, like it says in Deuteronomy. Make sure you get rid of the evil person from among you. Similarly, if one of you is angry with one of your brothers, do you dare go and say, let's go and let the unrighteous people decide this one for us, shall we? Let's go to the not You must know by now that the saints, God's holy ones, are going to be the ones who judge the world. You're going to stand there judging angels and the past and the present and the future. And if that's going to happen, then how on earth can you think you're not smart enough to try trivial cases between brothers? So if you do have cases like that, then why are you putting them before people who don't have a role in the church? It's crazy, I'm saying that to show you. Is it really the case that in the wise, excellent, superior knowledge people of God, there is no one who is actually qualified to discern between the cases between brothers? And instead of doing that, you're just taking them all to the old neighbors, letting them decide for you. I mean, even having a lawsuit in the church is like as if you've already lost. Why Why wouldn't you rather just allow yourself to be ripped off? and go to unbelievers and say, please sort out this scroll between Christians. You you, yourselves are being wrongdoers and unrighteous. And I want you to know that the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom. They don't want you to be tricked about it. So the work will try and trick you into thinking that these things are not true, but they are. Neither sexually immoral people, nor idol worshippers, nor people who have rough for somebody else's husband or wife, nor men who have sex with other men, nor people who steal, or people who are greedy, nor people who are drunk, or slander, or people who rip people off. None of them are going to inherit the kingdom. And you used to be like that. But By God's grace, He washed you and He justified you, He declared you righteous and He sanctified you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I know you say it all the time. Yeah, well, everything's awful. Look, I'm in Christ. Everything's awful. Yes, but okay, it might not be, but I everything's helpful. Oh, everything's awful, but I won't be enslaved by anything. Well, food's meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. God is going to destroy one and the other. The body isn't meant for sexual immorality, it's meant for the naught. And the Lord is meant for the body. And God has raised Jesus and will raise us too. You know, your bodies are united with Christ somehow. So I'm going to take something that's united with Christ and then unite it to a prostitute as well, so Jesus and a prostitute get connected. Of course I'm not going to do those things. Unless you don't realise that when you have sex with someone you become one flesh with them. when you becomes one with the Lord, he becomes one spirit with him. So I run away as fast as you can from sexual morality. You see it coming? Let it it's not to be part of your life. You must go out in, because every other kind of sin you might commit is really only a sin against others. But in your if you're sexually sinful, you're sinning against your own body as well. Unless You've forgotten that your is a temple of God. It's where the living God lives. It's like the tabernacle. It's like Eden. It's like David's temple. And if you end up sinning against that, you are blaspheming. You are sacrilegious. So glorify God in your body because you are not your own anymore. You've been bought at a price. It's got a time. After that very long introduction, i come some of the to me about anyway. <laughs> Is that helpful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, you can get it to Andrew Wilson, uh, reading 1 Corinthians. Google. Um, we're going
1: to go back to PowerPoint. Am I on? I'm
0: on now. Um, okay. Uh, what were some of the issues that came up? Just, just shout them out. What, what kind of church is this? So they a sorted church. No. Go on, shout out some stuff that was going on in the church.
1: Glorifying the leaders.
0: Glorifying leaders. Yeah, and disputes over who, who preferred whom. Yeah. They were
1: judging leaders
0: by a very worldly standards. Yeah, yeah, by sort of human wisdom and so on. Yeah. Boasting. Boasting in themselves and their impressive wisdom. Yeah. What other? Anything scandalous? Incest. Incest, yeah. incest, yeah, yeah. At least a son sleeping with his stepmother, yeah. Yeah, prostitution, yeah.
1: Trying to manage
0: disputes outside the church. Yeah, so lawsuits between members of the church. You know, I've got an issue with Ben, and I take him to court. That <laughs> sounds like we're not getting on well as brothers. I'm not going to do that, by the way, Ben. <laughs>
1: Well, so I didn't believe in, taken from that, that there's almost like a hierarchy of uh, sins. Like there's some uh, sins are sort of uh, like, you know, what well, others like, like to have sex out of wedlock is is, you know, but to have sex with uh, a man, to have sex with another man is. Worse or I I think no I, he
0: doesn't he doesn't talk about homosexuality being worse
1: Yeah uh, seems to be
0: worse that 's helpful and we we'll, we 'll come to that when we get to chapter six, but yeah what he 's saying is I think he said it, it, those who sin sexually sin against their own body there 's a kind of double whammy there it 's not just a sin against the law but you 're also causing serious harm within yourself and um, but one thing he 's very clear on actually is that heterosexual sexual sin is no worse than homosexual sexual sin, so all sexual activity outside of marriage is equally sinful, but sexual activity is somehow more damaging uh, than other sins, although in terms of our standing before God, all sin is the same. So we'll come to that, we'll come to that. But thank you, yeah, that does raise up. So this is a messy church, isn't it? This is a messy church, Um, and that's what we come into.
1: Well, oh, sorry, can I just like, not, not yeah, go on. A, a church built out of love rather than sort of sort of
0: into, you know, just yep. Well, we're gonna, know? yeah, yeah, a church built out of love rather than just, yeah, following a set of rules or being, yeah, yeah. Although there is some chastising, some, some reprimanding, some telling off needing to be done, isn't there? It's interesting how Paul doesn't pull his punches. Um, well, this chapter, this, passage that we're looking at today, there in the middle of your sheets, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, um, is the most positive, in some ways, one of the most positive passages in the whole of 1 Corinthians. And... Um, I've called uh, this section, or the introduction to this, The Right Thinking Leads to Right Living. Right thinking leads to right living. And that's, uh, I, I tried to look up, who, where does that come from? Because I'd heard it before, and it seems loads of different people have quoted it, lots of different gurus, professional teachers, you know, and uh, religious leaders, and so on. Um, but it's true, we get that idea, that if you've got your thinking right, then that's what will drive your actions, your living. And um, it seems to be that's the theme uh, of this first section, in some ways, of the whole book. Um, But we're going to dive in just to to the first verse and just see this little bit uh, before we go a bit deeper. Um, It's going to be a shorter section, uh, a shorter sermon, hopefully, uh, today, um, given that long introduction, but hopefully it was helpful to see the big picture. Let's go straight into verse 1, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, there at the top of your sheets. Paul. Uh, This great missionary of the Lord Jesus, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. So he's writing it with someone else, but it's really interesting, isn't it, where he sees the authority. Um, This man who says he's the scum of the earth at one point, did you hear that as uh, Andrew was reading uh, chapter 4 or so? um, he says he's called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He, he puts his standing up there because he met the risen Lord Jesus uh, on the road to Damascus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. Um, and Jesus commissioned him in a special way, as an apostle, as one who was sent. Now, apostle is the same word, actually, as missionary, sent one. So to some extent, we're all uh, small-a apostles. But in this sense, an apostle of Christ Jesus, in a way that's distinct from his brother Sosthenes, Paul is saying he has an especial authority, an authority to teach God's word, and not only teach it, but in some ways to write it. And actually, it's interesting, in uh, Peter's second letter, I've written much later on, he says, I know some of what Paul writes to you is heavy, uh, hard-hitting and, and hard to understand, but you must take it very seriously, and don't be like those who twist it and abuse it, and mistreat it as they do the other scriptures. Uh, that's uh, 2 Peter 3.16 if you're taking notes so Peter the great apostle saw Paul as writing scripture so as Paul writes to this church he's saying listen to me as you would listen to Jesus Christ himself well hopefully we're listening and then he goes into verse 2 verse 2 is there on your sheets let me read it To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. We're going to zoom in a bit on verse 2, but first I just want you to notice those two locations, both named as in. In Corinth and in Christ. In Corinth and in Christ. They have a dual identity. Well, first, let's look at what it means to be in Corinth. Well, we've heard a bit in that reading. There's a lot of mess going on. Uh, Corinth was an, uh, an ancient Greek city that had been then destroyed and taken over by the Romans, so it was a new and modern Roman city. And uh, I'm going to use this pointer for the first time ever. Uh, do you see here... Um, that's where Corinth is. Now, it's a very, very significant location in the Mediterranean. If you're coming from Italy and you're wanting to get across to Turkey, then rather than going around this rather dangerous, stormy bit, you can go through this rather smooth, nice, land-protected area, and there's a cut through there, and Corinth is right there. There's a very significant port, and so lots of trade going through there, lots of people from from different backgrounds. And also, when you have port cities, trade cities, you have people who are, for a short time, anonymous. And so Corinth had a bit of the reputation of, say, a Bangkok. If someone says... Oh, he's so Bangkok. Well, even if we don't use that phrase, we're kind of, kind of, okay, there's something not quite right, there's something going on there, that's perhaps a bit of the sexual trade and so on. I don't know if that's a fair reflection of Bangkok, I've never been there. And, um, <laughs> but that's how Corinth was used. And um, uh, one commentator said this Roman Corinth was prosperous, cosmopolitan, religiously pluralistic, Accustomed to visits by impressive travelling public speakers, obsessed with status, self-promotion, and individual rights. Don't ring any bells? You know any cities like that? <laughs> well, Corinth is a bit like London, smaller version of London. Prosperous, cosmopolitan, religiously pluralistic. Lots of different religions. Lots of different conversations going on. Lots of impressive people. Obsessed with status, self-promotion, and personal rights, individualism. In Corinth, that's where they were. But they were in Christ. Their true identity, Paul is saying, is that they are sanctified in Christ. And in this first nine verses, Jesus is mentioned ten times by name, and then him as well, on top of that, and it's as if Paul is saying, "Look, I know you're in Corinth, but the thing that is most important about you is the fact that you are in Christ. That's the identity that really matters." A friend of mine who's uh, preaching on the same, uh, is preaching through 1 Corinthians at um, the same time, said that he's given his series the title, "The Church Gets Messed Up When Jesus Gets Pushed Out." The church gets messed up when Jesus gets pushed out. And it seems to be that's exactly what the Corinthians are doing as we read through those first six chapters and you go on. They're putting themselves up. They're they're all about personal status, individual rights, and so on. And Paul is saying, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Jesus Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Because the church gets messed up when Jesus gets pushed out. As someone said... It's great when a ship is in the sea. It's not so good when the the sea is in the ship. They are in Christ in Corinth. That's great. They're on a rescue mission. But Corinth mustn't get into the ship. Well, in that verse 2 summary, this is basically a summary of the whole book. If you want to know the whole of of 1 Corinthians, and you could say, well, the whole of the New Testament in some ways. The first thing is, see who you are in Christ, and then be who you are in Christ. Let's just have a look at verse 2 again. This is where we're going to spend almost all our time. Verse 2, to the church. The church, what does church mean? It's a word that we think means a building, or means a denomination. What does it mean? It means God's gathered people, the gathered people. Actually, church itself just means gathering. So you could have non-religious churches, Um, it's just a gathering. But it's the word ekklesia, the Greek word for church, um, means God's gathered people. The church is a people, it's not a building. And whose church is it? To the church of God in Corinth. God's gathered people, not mine, it's not Alex Lyle's church, it's not our church even, although it is us, it's plural, Paul's writing to a group, he's not writing to individuals, it's God's. And what has God said about this church, this gathered people, this messy mishmash, mixture of backgrounds and difficulties and struggles and preferences, what does he say about them? This may seem a bit surprising given what we heard in that overview reading of chapters 1 to 6. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, the word sanctified is a little bit annoying. Because it's there because we don't have the word holified in English. Um, but if you're taking notes, you could cross out the word sanctified and write holified. Because it's the same word as the word holy. Or eyes, holified. Uh, maybe we could... Um, start talking that out and maybe the, the Urban Dictionary will put it in if we if we get enough influence out there I doubt it um, but the point is you are holy you are holy you are set apart what does holy mean? it means set apart it means set aside for God and in the Old Testament temple uh, holy could mean uh people but actually it also mean like the, the shovel that was used to clean the ashes from the altar. That would be holy. Or a spoon or a cup it could be holy. Set apart for God. And it, that meant it had a special exclusive status. And if you are trusting in Christ, then you are holy. You are set apart for him. He has chosen you. And he has given you a status in the Lord Jesus Christ that has nothing to do with what you do or don't deserve. These people, as we've seen from that reading, don't deserve very much from God. And yet, they are called. Their true status in Christ is holy. Set apart from him. Chosen. Precious. And that's all because of the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for them. That sacrificial system in the Old Testament where there'd be those holy articles was because those things were perfect. And a perfect, unblemished sacrifice of a lamb that had never done anything wrong, that was totally innocent, would go into that temple and would be killed and burned on the altar. It would be destroyed. But before that happened, a sinner like you or me, someone who has mistreated God, who has pushed him out of their lives, who knows that they deserve nothing from God other than his rejection, had put their hand on that lamb, and had seen, as it were, their sin transferred onto that innocent lamb. And it was killed, and it was burned. How can an innocent lamb represent a human being? Well, of course they can't, but it points forward to the true lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was genuinely holy who never did anything wrong, who was entirely set apart from eternity past, in perfect relationship with his his Heavenly Father. He came, and he lived the perfect life that you and I failed to live. And as he died on that cross, it's as if we put our hand on his head and say, Lord Jesus, I trust in you, and our sin is transferred to him. And as he died and was destroyed, he took our sin on himself so that we could be holy that's who you are in Christ and so second half of verse 2 and called to be his holy people you are holy so be holy see who you are in Christ so be who you are in Christ you see that that's basically the Christian message if you're trusting in Christ you're holy see who you are in Christ how do you live it out seeing who you are in Christ be who you are in Christ You see what he says then as the verse continues? Called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. You Clintons, you think you're special, you're not special. You're just as bad and rubbish as everyone else. And they call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and as a result they are holy and they are called to be holy just as you are. Well, this is hugely positive, isn't it, as, as Paul starts out this letter. And you could think, well, maybe he's just using those management techniques. You know the management techniques when, you, when you're managing someone and you're not quite sure their performance is that great and, and you want to kind of stick the knife in? Well, what do you do first? In the teaching profession, Lisa tells me, they call it uh, three stars and a wish. Oh, you're so lovely in this way, and you're so lovely in that way, and I think you do this brilliantly, but... You've got to sort out that. <laughs> and hopefully, if they've heard all the nice stuff, then they'll do the negative criticism. Is that what Paul's doing? Is he just bigging them up a bit to get them in a good mood and then he's going to stick the knife in? No. This is really true of us. This is really true of the Corinthians. He's not just finding some nice things he can say about them. That this is who they are. Holy, set apart in Christ. And so that's the message of the whole of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Be who you are in Christ, having seen who you are in Christ. There's a lot of instructions. But if we see it in the light of who you are in Christ, we'll then understand why those instructions are coming and, and how they're said in love and how they make sense. If we understand who we are, then we'll delight to be who we are. Well, I'm going to go through this next bit quite quickly. See who you are in Christ. That's these verses 3 to 9. And there's three things there, and you can enjoy filling in the gap if you've started to nod off a little bit, because uh, we've been going for a little while. Then uh, there's some gaps. And you can you can fill them out. See who you are in Christ, and be who you are in Christ the first gaps you can fill out on the sheet. And then, verses 3 to 9, the first one is rescued by... God's grace in Christ. Rescued by God's grace in Christ. You see verse 3? This is your status. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with God. You're no longer his enemies. You're no longer going to be condemned by him. But you have his grace. And verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Grace. Have you heard this? Do you know that on the screen? Grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. I find that hugely helpful way to know what grace is. I don't deserve it. But Jesus gave himself willingly for me so that I could have God's riches. See who you are in Christ. And because of that, you're lacking nothing in Christ. Verses 5 to 7. Verse 5, there on your sheets. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Our preaching works. We can see the gospel works. You put your trust in Christ. And because you've put your trust in Christ, verse 7, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. These were people who Later on, we'll see in in chapters 12 to 14 especially, but all through, they're kind of fighting about who's the best, who's got the best leader, who's the most wise, who's the cleverest, who looks the most impressive, who can show off, who can boast the best. And Paul says, you don't get it. If you understand who you are in Christ, you are enriched in every way. You do not lack any spiritual gift. You're spiritual millionaires. God withholds nothing from us. In Ephesians chapter one he says to the Ephesians, You have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How can how can that be true? How can that be true given that they're a bit of a mess and life's hard and it's a struggle? Do you feel right now, do you feel blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ? Do you feel like you're enriched in every way as you trust in Christ today, or are you finding it hard? A very helpful illustration I was reminded of as I was preparing is that of a light boat rescue. I've recently got into um, swimming. I talk about it a lot more than I actually do it. Um, But uh, uh, when we were out on holiday, I was talking about it rather than doing it Um, back in Easter. We were overlooking the Bristol Channel, and I said to Lucy, I reckon reckon I'm strong enough to swim that. And um, Lucy said to me, you do know that this is famous for the massive riptides that drag people out to sea. Well, just imagine that if, if I was more daring and, and I didn't have Lucy there to remind me of that fact, and I got into the sea and I started to swim across, and then the riptide kicks in, and I start going straight out into, what is it, the Irish Sea or something. And, um, and there I am, flailing, struggling to keep afloat, afro- barely able, swimming against the tide and nothing happening. And I know I'm totally helpless. And I'm condemned, and that's it. My stupidity has led me into the Irish Sea, and I'm going to be another stat. And then a lifeboat arrives. And the lifeboat's captain reaches down and grabs me and pulls me up onto the boat. I have been rescued. Suddenly my identity changes from someone who's about to drown to someone who's safe and secure. But the storm might be raging around me. The waves and the wind are going hard at it. And and, and the captain says to me, Right, we've got other people who are out here who are equally stupid as you. And we need to rescue them. So you're now part of the team. Okay, I am secure and safe. but. The rest of my journey on that lifeboat in which my identity is safe and secure is not necessarily going to be that pleasant as the storm rages around me, as we try and reach out to others, as the boat gets fuller, as, as we start arguing and, 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 and kind of struggling on that ship. But my identity is safe. I have been rescued. I am being rescued on that boat. And one day I will be rescued as that boat and that captain carries me to shore. Rescued by God's grace in Christ, lacking nothing in Christ, with a glorious future in Christ. Verses 7 to 9. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Verse 8. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that wonderful? We don't just get a, a lifeboat, we don't just get a mechanism, we don't just get a mantra... Oh yes, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved by grace. We get a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't just grab us and rescue us and then that's the last we see him and we might you know, write something about him. Oh, it's so kind of him to save me like that. Lifeboatman did. No, he's, verse 9, called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through the son we have a relationship with God as our father by the Holy Spirit. And we're looking forward to that day when that relationship will be perfected. We have a glorious future in him. And if you see that, if you understand that, if you see who you are in Christ, then you will live like it. And the rest of 1 Corinthians is helping us to think that through. Right thinking leads to right living see who you are in Christ and be who you are in Christ I hope you like me are looking forward to the rest of 1 Corinthians shall we pray our Father thank you so much that even though we deserve nothing we have been given everything And even though we know from the way we have behaved today, this week, the way we squabbled and struggled and annoyed others and hurt those we love the most, the Lord Jesus Christ took that in his own body as he died on that cross and paid the penalty for us so that our status is secure in you. And we pray that this week, this month, for the rest of our lives, we would learn more and more what it means to be who we are in Christ. That we might enjoy that reality in the here and now and look forward to its fullness when Jesus returns.
1: In his precious name we pray. Amen.